Hi, I'm Guy Powell, and welcome to the next episode of The Backstory on Marketing and AI. If you haven't already done so, please visit ProRelevant.com and sign up for all of these episodes and podcasts. I am the author of the newly released book, The Post-COVID Marketing Machine, Prepare Your Team to Win. And you can find out more information on this at marketingmachine.prorelevant.com. There is so much going on in marketing and as AI and technology and generative AI have now exploded onto the scene and marketers are learning more and more about how to take advantage of it and build creative solutions that can really differentiate their, their brands. Whether you're a small or large marketer, getting all of this technology to work can really be a big differentiator in the market. Today, I'm interviewing Mark Pickren with Next net media and we'll be talking about how marketing and technology can grow uh your your sales and your brand and hopefully your career mark welcome so glad to have you thank you good to be here so let me uh introduce mark a little bit more detail he is the president of next net media which is a global network of trusted media brands and a leader in the world of marketing and technology with over 25 years of experience, Mark is a seasoned entrepreneur known for his success in various industries, including fintech, SaaS, and digital marketing. He excels in building and managing ventures, in some cases starting with as little as a cubicle and a phone. Boy, do I know that. Boasting a track record of overseeing $100 million P&Ls at large corporations and prestigious advertising agencies. Mark's innovative approach vast experience and dedication to leveraging technology make him a trusted authority in the dynamic, incredibly dynamic digital landscape, benefiting consumers and businesses worldwide. Mark, it's so good to have you. So uh, tell us uh, how, how you got started in marketing. What is your backstory? Well, first, I'm going to have to thank my publicist for such a, a lovely introduction, and I appreciate that. Um, so the question was, what's my backstory? Yes. Yeah, it's uh, um, it's kind of interesting because a lot of people, uh, I, I've I've you know gone from uh, being a marketing focused uh, individual through my early career uh, to becoming a CEO, you know, of a large marketing automation platform, a CEO at a fintech, and now president at NextNet Media. And oftentimes, people say, you know, how how do how do I uh, I normally meet with, uh, when I take over a company or join a company, I usually meet with every employee um, on a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, in the case of uh, a marketing autom automation platform that I worked for, I met with 126 uh, employees in my first 90 days uh, on one-on-ones. And oftentimes that's the question that, that folks are always asking, you know, young marketers or young professionals, like how do I get to be the CEO? Um, and I often tell people that uh, uh, I'm a, I'm a non-classically trained CEO, if there was such a thing. Um, you know, normally you think about folks coming into the chief executive position, uh, coming from, you know, maybe an MBA and, and more of the finance route. Um, oftentimes it's through the technology side of the house in terms of being a founder and then becoming a CEO. Um, but my roots kind of run very deep in terms of advertising and marketing, uh, business development, and then that kind of merged into uh, becoming 
uh, pretty good at product. And, um, and so I think kind of that's, that's my backstory is, is, is really emerging from marketing specific, which I think largely helps you understand people, right? It's, mm. If you're a good marketer, you're really tuned into um, how that communication and how you can create dialogue with, with prospective customers. Um, advertising uses more, I, I like to say, is, is more of a, a mixed medium in terms of leveraging uh, all of the different uh, uh, aspects and, and modalities uh, within marketing. But at the same point, um, bringing those two together and, uh, and and just really focusing on understanding uh, the individuals out there that you that you look to uh, communicate with and build a dialogue with. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's and you're it, it really is a hot area, and especially I don't know, it's been probably four or five years now, definitely pre-COVID, where spending in technology and marketing has surpassed spending in technology and the rest of the company. And uh, I mean, everybody's talking about their marketing stack and everything else. So no question that uh, combining those two is what can, first of all, make marketing do better. But if marketing does better, then the company does better because that is what drives uh, success in the market. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we at NextNet Media, you know, we're a company that has uh, acquired uh I think five companies now, um, well over uh, 50 million in, in revenue um, and has been profitable since virtually day one. And um, having these different companies uh, that are really kind of closely aligned within the SEO space, but then also our generative AI product, it, it's really given me a lot of exposure to um, uh, how how companies are, are performing the marketing task and leveraging the technology and um, in different parts of the world. So everybody's mm. kind of got their own flavor to how they drive efficiency, uh, but then also how to uh, communicate with different cultures and in different environments, because, you know, even the folks in Australia, no, no, uh, no, no, I don't mean to offend them, but, you know, oftentimes Australia kind of falls back a few years behind like the mm. United States in terms of, and so it's, it's interesting to see those like uh, things that we perhaps were uh, considered uh, something that has uh, uh, been around for a while here can emerge in these other parts of the world and can have a new gen, a new uh, renaissance, if you will. Uh, uh, and, right. and benefit from those experiences. Yeah, right. And uh, and and unfortunately, unfortunately, I've done a well, I've done a lot of uh, international uh, work as well. And when you have bigger media budget and, and bigger opportunities in the U.S., and I don't know what the relative size is between the U.S. and Australia, but let's say it's ten to one, then you know it's very hard for a smaller country to be the leading edge of something because they they don't necessarily have the have the bulk to be able to uh, to afford that kind of investment in 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 those in those innovations but uh, anyway one of the things i i want to talk about is uh, you mentioned generative ai and generative ai is now on the the lips of all marketers and actually i guess everybody in business and uh, so generative ai you know really exploded uh into the market here in the beginning of the year with chat gpt and others 
Um, uh, so what, why do you see this as being so crucial and what do you see as uh, going on in 2024 with uh, generative AI? Well, I probably, I mean, that's a, that's a loaded question. There's a, there's a lot of directionality <laughs> we could go with that. Um, so let me, let me just focus on one specific area that I think has probably been um, uh, one of the hardest hit in terms of uh, people not really feeling like they have their sea legs as to what the future is within the, the area. And, and that's uh, in the content production, um, mm. producing content, particularly for the search engine. So um, NextNet Media uh, produces about 35,000 original content, content pieces for our clients. Um, we power some uh, significant uh, platforms that, in the space. And uh, what we saw originally was, you know, everybody was really concerned about how Google would respond to content that had any sort of, you know, AI associated with it. Um, and so the market kind of froze for almost a year because, you know, do we use it? Do we not use it? And, um, you know, we had uh, these were contractors, but we had a, you know, I think a group of about 350 total writers across the, the mm. country and across the globe. And so, you know, it was really a, 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 a period of time there. Um, and then what we found, uh, Google kind of released that they were, they, they really didn't have an opinion on generative AI written content. Um, and I think then that released kind of the floodgates of, of people just, you know, churning out just a bunch of stuff that wasn't good for Google. Its users didn't really provide value. Um, and as we know, you know, generative AI can 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 miss the mark when it when it goes wrong. It goes wrong in, <laughs> in unpredictable ways. And yep. um, so, what we've what we've figured out is that you know, if you look at the top fifty B two B writers and um, and, 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 you know, ranked B2B writers, I don't know who ranks them, but if you look at them, you know, and, and look at their bios, you know, oftentimes you'll see that really the first thing is, is, as with journalism, is, you know, research, research, research. And so what we've found is that there is a, um, an ability to leverage uh, the open AI or, or Baird and to be able to have it perform many tasks that set the writer up for success. And then the writer's not having to sit down and write a unique masterpiece every time. Let's say that they're writing SEO content to a search phrase, you know, oh my gosh, how do I like construct this? And so what we've developed is systems to where we tee the writer up with a lot of information on the client, on its audience, and then as you go forward in terms of, so that that's how we've found the happy medium it, to set the human in the loop, if you will, up for success. Um, but then to also be able to um, uh, increase efficiencies and, and scale leveraging AI. So um, that's that's one area where I think it's been incredible. And, and as a, a acquisitive uh, company, you know, we have seen a lot of uh, a lot of the content platforms out there, unfortunately, like going to market for a sale process, because I think it's it's hit a lot of these companies, you know, really hard in terms of uh, being able to figure out what is the appropriate level of pricing when you have generative AI floating in the midst. Um, and so that's 
that's put a lot of uh, downward margin compression on, 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 on the pricing. And then, you know, clients are, are constantly, you know, uh, 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 you know, they're always like, well, I think this was written by ChatGPT. And so we're even taking steps now to uh, basically um, when the writers engage, we're doing like time stamping. And so we're, we're actually going to develop a method so that we can actually say this is human certified. Like we actually can prove <laughs> that a human wrote it. Um, and so that's been something that I think is, you know, it, it, it's, it's every, every day it's a different, it, I mean, it's so fluid. It's like, mm. and so you're, you can't look at things in terms of what's our strategy for AI next year. It's like you're running in like two and three week sprints. And you just got to be super nimble and be willing to say, wow, we really missed the mark on that one. Like, like <laughs> we, we totally biffed on that one is one of my, uh, one of my business development guys says. So, um, <laughs> you know, you, you got to just be comfortable with change. And, and, and I'll tell you that, you know, the thing that's really difficult is, is like, you know, it's, it's, it's very scary for, you know, particularly a, a young professional who maybe isn't in management or isn't in a, a more senior role. Um, and they're being faced with the fact that they, you know, graduated from, we, we have a great team down in Florida, um, you know, graduated with advertising degrees from university of Florida or university of South Florida. This is their, you know, first job. They've been working with us for three and a half years. And it, it's very scary. Like, um, you know, how is this going to displace me? And so, you know, me as a leader, you know, I really would suggest and, and stress to any marketer out there, whether you're a young professional, mid-level manager or an executive, you have to, to view that this is, that the genie is out of the bottle. So it's not going back in, it's moving at light speed. Um, and if I were, if, if I were in, in any of those positions, I would be laser focused on learning how to manage um, and how to use these as assets, the autonomous agents, and to train my team to be able to manage those and be, take responsibility for their output and then be the human in the loop on the top that basically polishes mm. it, makes sure that it's human and gets it to market. And, and if you do that, if you accept the, the, the reality as opposed to kind of putting your head in the sand, you know, I think that it's, a, it's an immensely marketable skill for anybody moving into whatever stage of their career. Uh, if yeah. It may be the only marketable skill uh, <laughs> in, in, in two years. Who knows? Um, but uh, anyways. Right, right. Understand. And, you know, it's funny because um, when you think about uh, kids coming out of college, they are being trained to be generalists. I mean, obviously, they're, they're maybe they're taking a marketing, uh, a major or whatever it happens to be, or writing or communications or journalism. But it almost sounds like they need to, well, they certainly need to have the, the generalist understanding and be able to, you know, understand the nuances across the whole palette of, of marketing in this case. But the way not to be the way not to be replaced by an AI bot or an AI engine is to then also have some very deep knowledge in, in, a, in a very particular area. That's very hard then to replace by a, an AI engine because then you can use that knowledge maybe to actually 
like you were saying, to be actually able to, uh, you know, correct or edit or just tweak that the AI output so that it's really much, much better. Or even uh, be the one that designs the the learning model uh, that the mm. that the, that the uh, AI is, uh, or the the, the the machine learning developing the model. Um, it doesn't require, you know, oftentimes. Well, now you can have Chat GPT create the prompt, but at the same point, you can do the inputs to be able to create that. Uh, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The Chat GPT. Yeah. It's it's a. It's a remarkable period of time, but it's it's definitely got a lot of people uh, a little a little spooked. Well, you know, I don't know. I guess it was maybe I don't know forty years ago, fifty years ago, uh, when I guess it was you know like the IBM's and the CDCs and the big computer companies at the time. Everybody said, "Wow, office automation is going to put all these office workers out of out of a job." And uh, and I don't think that happened. I mean, they shifted certainly, and things moved over to something new. And uh, I have a feeling the same thing is going to happen. I hope the same thing is going to happen in AI. Is that yeah, these kinds of functions over here are no longer necessary, but it just opened up this horizon of other kinds of opportunities. And for those people that are willing to make that jump and and really dive into these other opportunities, they are going to be very successful. And 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 so that you know it, it'll just kind of hopefully continue to expand and won't just wipe out a uh, you know a whole tier of of uh, uh, you know of employer of, of employees. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't I, I wouldn't dare ask how old you are, but uh, I'm 52, soon to be 53, <laughs> and. Um, you know, I always talk to people about uh, the fact that, you know, I, I immigrated to the Internet. Um, you know, mm. I grew up in a period of time to where there wasn't the Internet. And some of my early you know career was uh, I started out at a company called TMP Worldwide, which bought Monster.com. And it was part of that whole dot com, uh, you know, era. And, um, you know, we built the first online auction for buying and selling uh, digital media in 2004. A um, little bit ahead of the game uh, there, but so here's my opportunity because now uh, I'm going to be a native to AI. So I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to now I get to immigrate again. Excuse me to yeah. AI, right? And it's, and then we have this whole generation that is being born today, just like the COVID generation, right? That now all of a sudden they're not going to know a world that did not have AI, and so it's it's super it's super exciting. But you know, I. I promised my daughter I would stop talking about singularity because it, it makes her terrified and she called me the other day crying so um but but certainly uh it's exciting so I'll, I'll just stay on the positive side yeah exactly well it definitely is that so uh um and then there's this whole concept of uh, uh prompt engineering uh, that's that's come about and and I can definitely see where that makes a lot of sense. And I can even even prior to a to generative AI, there were challenges for some people in how they phrased their searches just in Google to get to an answer relatively quickly. And um, and so in a similar way with prompt engineering, uh, there are going to be prompt engineers and there's going to be prompt engineering classes that you can take in marketing or in other areas so that you can be an expert at being able to uh, drive the results that you want out of out of uh, out of generative AI. 
Well, with the chat GPT turbo release, um, it, it, it was really uh, a remarkable moment um, because it, uh, it, it really opens up that, you know, there's, there's like something like 6,000 uh, generative AI chat GPT wrapper companies that emerged mm. over the last like year and a half. And, and basically now um, it's, it's rendered quite a few of them mute because now you can just pro you can basically do a prompt that, that tells ChatGPT to not be a bot, but to be a human, and to create prompts that will. Hmm. And so you're it so it can actually turn out those prompts for you, um, which is like uh, it's mind blowing. And then you did mention like Google, so search generative experience is something that is is very. Um, and important to our business, uh, you know, we own uh, basically most of the link building market. So helping uh, uh, brands like HelloFresh to uh, uh, go out there and find uh, suitable companies that are in their sphere and, and to be able to help each other out um, by, by sharing content and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, generative uh, search generative experience, it doesn't roll off the tongue, kind of like NextNet Media, but... Um, uh, you know, what's happening with, with, with Google and, and I'll, I'll try to try to phrase this in a way, but, uh, or describe it in a way, but Google has, uh, 15 exobytes of computational power and data. And so if you were to have, so to, to put that in context, if you would have recorded every human conversation since the dawn of time, it would only add up to about five exobytes of data. <laughs> and so now what Google is doing is taking the computational power that they have, combining it with machine learning to create this search generative experience, which the way that I look at it is like, if you did a Google search today for, um, uh, you know, uh, what's called skis. Okay. Um, and I did a search for skis. Um, Google is going to look at your location in the Southeast. It's going to look at my location currently in, in the Southwest. It's going to take in some information and then it's going to take in a little bit of information that it knows about us on an anonymized basis. And, you know, we're both in the marketing space, so we may get a similar somewhat of a similar response. If you were sitting here in this office and we both did the search, we would probably get very similar uh, search results. Now, um, Google is, is basically using all of the data that they have on all of their users and creating personas. So mm. um, now uh, you may get a very highly tailored your search result may be exclusively yours for that moment in time based upon everything that was going on in that, that millisecond. And so from a marketer's perspective, everybody's like, oh my gosh, like, like I've been spending time and money and effort to, to get my SEO and to be competitive against, you know, to rake in the search rankings. And now it's like, you're going to have to position your content to write to personas, not to uh, generic search phrases. Mm -hmm. So how is that? How is that commercial search phrase targeted at 
you know, landed gentry or what some other, you know, prism based uh, uh, avatar. And so it's, it's, it's remarkable how I think it's both an opportunity for the, for the folks that are, are ready to put in uh, the, the good work. But I also think that human writers are going to become perhaps even more in vogue because a computer has a very hard time understanding the context of a person, person's persona. You know, mm. the, the life, life experiences that we go through, how we view the world, what media we take in, all of those things could be data points, but it's not qualitatively, you can't really understand. So I see that as also another another great opportunity. And, um, you know, so so that's 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 on the search generative experience. It, you don't want to get a glass of wine in me and get me talking about search generative experience because. Uh, my my family walks out of the room and I'm left there like an old crank <laughs> on the back porch uh, talking about it. <laughs> well, I'm ready for that glass of wine, but uh, maybe you and I'll have to be on the deck <laughs> while the families are inside. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. exactly. Exactly. So um, uh, let's move on a little bit. We're going to jump around here a little bit. You talk about the concept of flywheels. Uh, what are they, and uh, and and why are they so important to uh, to marketers? Well, I think that um, so I, I was a CEO of Americas for a for a fintech, and um, you know flywheels are are it's kind of used a lot. You know, uh, uh, Amazon is is probably the 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 and AWS is is probably the the pioneer in terms of the use of flywheels. Um, and, and to kind of put it into context, it's it's that you create you create a systems of and and you create systems within how you deliver how you manufacture and deliver your product. And if it's a marketing product, and then you create those those flywheels so that you can just basically insert new types of tasks and new uh, uh, new offerings, new whatever. And that the flywheel is 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 spinning so fast and and with such efficiency that it can intake those projects or those initiatives, and you have this system that only gets it it, it allows you to scale. And I think that that's that's something that you know marketers uh, you know I've run an eighty million dollar marketing budget for a large financial institution, um, and and I know like you know the the how much we were able to create efficiencies in terms of reducing our expense costs, which, you know, obviously the CFO loves and the, the finance guys, the FP&A guys. And so, you know, creating a flywheel that you can digest, ingest and, and, and create almost like a perfectly manufactured product is, is kind of the, the the critical piece, I think, to marketing organizations surviving, you know, into the future. Um, and then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna break off a little bit because I I I, I want to give some advice to to some marketers out there. Um, you know, one thing that I've learned having been a CMO and 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 in marketing is is like normally the the C-suite in the company, whenever the marketing guys come in, you know, they kind of roll their eyes like, oh no, here he's gonna ask for more budget, you know. And I think that it's kind of I think that the days of judging the uh, your success as a CMO or as a marketer by the size of your budget, I think those days 
probably ended about five years ago, but <laughs> definitely are over today. And so um, I think that that's, a, that's another area where if I was a CMO in a company, which I, I have a great CMO, uh, Max Gomez, I would, I would make sure that you're looking at all of the efficiencies, looking at ways to leverage autonomous agents, look at ways in which you can move quickly in terms of uh, being able to produce uh, uh, efficiency while also scaling your your organization. Mm, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I agree with you. Uh, although as much as uh, when I talk to young marketers, I always say it's much better to work for a company with a big budget than a small budget. So uh, no question that budget size does matter a little bit. But, uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. I mean, I get your point, though, because it uh, in the end, you know, there's uh, when I look at and especially like automotive, where they are spending so much money and you know that they are way, way past diminishing returns. And yet they are absolutely loathe and, and fear almost, you know, in fear of death that if they cut back, they're going to lose the sales of, you know, the one or two cars because they cut back on, you know, five or 10 million in their media. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, yeah, I agree hey, with hey, that. I'm in I'm in I'm in trouble with my uh, marketing team because I I came in and, and cut our our marketing budget by about 20 percent. And they said, well, we're going to see a direct correlation to that, to uh, a reduction in, in revenue. And um, I, I did it anyways. And of course, there was the reduction in terms of, of meeting sets and opportunities, et cetera. Um, so I'm firsthand, I'm, I'm guilty as charged as, as, as being, uh, unfortunately they took the marketing guy and they made him the president. So I'm, I'm now making those, those hard decisions, but it, it actually came true. And, and I was, I said, guilty as charged. I'm, I'm fully accountable for that. I had to, so. Uh-oh, you had to swallow some, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so one of the things that drives uh, marketing success is uh, targeting customers. I would. I just did a training uh, session for the for Emory, uh, the Emory Business School, Goizueta Business School, and and I talk about how important targeting is. And and if you want to increase your marketing effectiveness, you can do that absolutely much better by just making sure you're targeting the right folks. Um, you talk about though uh, building a modern. Uh, data architecture that really matches with how you're targeting your customers. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, when I was at uh, uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, it's not a household name. Uh, it owns, uh, we owned one in 12 mortgages at the time uh, and uh, originated about 1.6 billion a month in new mortgage originations. And uh, it, it was, uh, uh, we were we were really portfolio marketers. So, had a portfolio of let's say four and a half million customers, had really good first party data on those customers. And I had a team of about, I think it was at its height, it was well over 10, but probably around eight to 10 uh, data science specialists. And we just learned how to how to go in and, and basically enrich and obtain as much information as we could uh, regarding our, our account base and really, um, you know, that was the start for me in terms of like data driven computational uh, based marketing. 
And then as I took on a, a, a role uh, with a company called Outbound Engine, it was a 24 million ARR marketing automation SaaS that was particularly focused in real estate and mortgage and insurance. Um, you know, I, I actually hired two PhDs and um, what we were able to do is it's all about right fit client. It's all about obtaining, uh, and I, I've written on this, you know, pres using prescriptive ad analytics and, and Moneyball to, to, to basically drive your marketing. But it really talks about like I, doing the analysis to obtain who is the customer that pays you the most, costs you the least of service, and has the highest degree of expansion opportunity or repeat business. And, um, and then if you look at what is a wrong fit client, you know, those customers, if you let one of those customers in with every three, you know, positive customers, you're going to spend the old 820 rule. You're going to spend 80% of your OPEX trying to service the customer that eventually is going to churn anyways. And mm -hmm. so um, we were able to, you know, at, you know, we had a, about 120 salespeople, um, you know, doing outbound dialing. And what I found was that, you know, we had to really uh, go in and build what I called the pure gold database, which is to identify prospects and then to append them because there's so much available data now to append. And then taking those and putting into some sort of prescriptive analytic platform, which in, which in this case was the PhD, and to really do that analysis in terms of identifying which of those pockets of customers, A, are sellable, like you want to look at the, the, the sellable or the conversion opportunity, but then also that they're right fit, which for us meant that they um, they could afford our service uh, for, you know, one to two years. And the way that we were able to identify that is to identify segments of customers that in businesses, B2B, that carry a specific level of account balance. They have discretionary cash. Mm. There's certain businesses that carry no discretionary cash and there's certain businesses that do. And so that's also a factor in terms of making sure that they can continue to afford a subscription based product. Um, so, you know, getting everything a, a, a central point of truth um, and, and partnering with finance, I'm going to tell you, if you're a marketer and you're not partnering with the FP&A, and you're not building out pro forma models that have the endorsement of the finance department, good luck. And mm -hmm. so you might as well just like <laughs> lean into it, take them out to lunch, do whatever you need to do to win them over. Because I would say that as a CEO or as a CMO, your most important relationship is with your chief financial officer. Oh, interesting. You know, and I, uh, it's, 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 it's funny that you say that because uh, I think the, uh, my background is in, you know, basically uh, return on investment and numbers and what have you, and uh, and marketers that can justify their their marketing budgets and their actions based on the you know a true measurement of of success, and then be able to communicate that to the C suite and, and to your and your right to the CFO, then uh, they will be more successful. They will get larger budgets, or at least they'll be able to smooth the approval process and or you know keep the uh, the the budgets from being cut so i i wholly agree with what you're saying you have to put a financial uh take on that and actually i, I when i was doing this training courses that I, that I mentioned i basically said you know what would you rather see on what would you rather hire if you saw a resume that said i managed a 50 million dollar budget or 
I managed the $50 million budget and we increased effectiveness every year. You know, so it's that that measurement piece that is just so critical that um, uh, that can really drive, you know, success for the company, but also success for the for the marketer himself. You know, it drives the, the so I would even take a step further, like partner up with a, an FP&A financial planning and analysis talent in the mid levels or, or a junior person mm. and go to them as a marketer and say, how do I build a pro forma model to demonstrate that I'd like to make this investment and here's how we're going to measure that return. And here's what, and then if it's not working out, here's where we're going to pull the plug and we're going to make smart calculated bets that have a high mm. degree of return, but carry the, carry the, uh, the are, are written in a language that financial types understand. Yep. yep. And it's like, and I mean, I, I was terrible at math, so I was the worst math student ever, but I'm, pretty dang good at actually reading and writing uh, financial models just because I've spent so much time invested with the, the, the finance department. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, we're working, uh, sorry, we're kind of going off, but uh, we're working with a bank right now. And, um, and you would think that they would know uh, from the finance team, uh, you know, what the value of a customer is, what is the lifetime value if I win 10 new uh, you know, 10 new customers in terms of interest and fees or whatever it happens to be. And um, the good news is that that question was instigated by our team through marketing to finance. And so it, it, it kind of then says, hey, guys, if you want us to do a good job, you got to help us do a good job. And uh, and I think they're 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 that now that communication is now open and they're they are going to see then uh, the success of marketing. Let me uh, change the subject. So we talked a little bit about uh, the modern data architecture. Uh, let's talk about setting up the the a modern marketing uh, and or sales uh, stack. Oh wow! Um, you know. Uh... <laughs> Do that in, uh, in 50 words or less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, it, it unfortunately, well, I, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but it, it's, it's kind of like, there's, there's basically ecosystems, right? There's the Facebook ecosystem. There's the Google ecosystem. Then you have like Salesforce as an ecosystem, HubSpot as an ecosystem, yeah. You know, and, and I, I could go on and on. And then you have like, I, I don't know if you've seen that, the, the MarTech uh, uh, 2020, 2018, yep. it, it went from like 60 to like 700. And now yep. it's like, I, I think they actually have to print two of them now. <laughs> you can't find paper big enough. And yep. I think what you're seeing is a lot of uh, consolidation. Um, like like for us in, in this organization and at NextNet Media, you know, we had we had a uh, we had all kinds of like adjunct kind of products that were integrated with Salesforce and Pardo, and you know, and then we're advertising and 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 like so you're getting all these data points, and for us we we've just really I mean we've leaned into Salesforce just because natively you know with Einstein coming out which is their generative AI mm -hmm. um, for both marketing and for uh, sales. Uh, or for the CRM, you know, it, it's just become so difficult to manage all these integrations with all these other products. And 
Um, I think that's kind of unfortunate because it probably will delay successful innovation in some of those companies, or I guess they can just get outright acquired if it's if they're good enough. Um, so the modern stack today, I, I think, is 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 really the other difficulty is like attribution and and back to the whole building a data lake and and having a central point of truth to where you can tie in finance in terms of receipts and, and purchasing, et cetera. And then you can have the, the marketing trace back and then you can have how sales, if you do have a sales process integrates. And, you know, if you have something like with Salesforce, we're probably gonna do data cloud um, and just have everything there as opposed to building a separate database. And uh, so I think the modern stack is, is probably going to be a little bit, um, I think I think we're going to see a reduction in the number of integrations, and if we haven't already, and kind of that chasing the shiny blinky thing. You know, I mean, I think we all know about the, you know, uh, the display programmatic, and and you know, every other week there was some other like, or Data Zoo was saying, well, we're closer to the to the data center, so we actually place your ad faster than somebody. I mean. <laughs> it kind of followed the whole programmatic, uh, you know, trading, right. and 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 then it it turned out that you know, kind of like nobody really knew at the end of the day if if it had improved anything, um, one way or the other. And then you see stuff like with uh, what the is it the, the trade desk is uh, I think I think filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, so you're you're seeing a lot of uh, a lot of challenge in in terms of that space. So. For me, as a as a as a leader of a company, but also with a deep respect for 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 the marketing team and for my CMO, you know, uh, it's all about now about helping to peel away some of the stuff that just causes a lot of headaches, and also risk. Like if, if something breaks in this kind of cobbled together stack that you have, if something inserts something. Yeah, I mean, think about all the sequences you're running on email, right? Like you probably have. If you're a large corporation, my gosh, you probably have like 6,000 sequences that are have a life of their own. Mm. And at any time, if something breaks down and somebody's name spelled wrong or you put the wrong name in front of the <laughs> wrong thing, I mean, your entire, all that, all the sequence that you built up to get to that moment and then you send the wrong message to the wrong person and call them the wrong name, <laughs> it just blows up an entire year's worth of work and effort. So yeah. I think it's about reducing risk and exposure and, um, and and getting back to and getting back to kind of basics in terms of that. Well, and I think uh, what that means, though, uh, is that the larger <clears throat> companies are going to be more successful because they will uh, hopefully be more integrated and you won't have to worry about 50 or 100 different integrations of different things. You'll just have one. Now, that's probably oversimplified because all these big companies then buy the little ones up and then they have trouble swallowing them and getting them kind of un under the same umbrella. So it, it's, you know, technology is is so much fun. It's always, well, it's in software. We should just be able to program it. And it is uh, it is just not that easy. It is just not that easy. Uh, just, Mark, just like AI, it's uh, yeah. just like AI technology. <laughs> when it when it when it when it goes wrong, it goes wrong in very unpredictable ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mark, I'm going to have to cut it off there. I I I have a I have a hundred more questions for you, and uh, would love to uh, keep chatting. But uh, one last question, and that is so. Uh, Given this complexity of marketing and technology and now AI and generative AI, 
uh, what advice would you give for an up and coming new marketer? I think we, we kind of touched on it early on. I would, uh, you know, a lot of the generations, I mean, we employ a lot of people that are younger. We employ a lot of people that are college graduates. We employ people that have been, you know, our early stage millennial or late stage millennial. And, um, you know, there's a, there's kind of an aversion to, uh, new technology because they, they, they've kind of like grown up with messaging and, and being told so much. And so on a personal level, and so there's almost like an aversion to like AI. I, I get a lot of that, and, but don't don't let your own personal kind of uh, uh, situation or the way that you were brought up and, and your feelings towards media or advertising change the fact that you need to accept reality and, and lean in as much as you can and learn as much as you can um, because you may be the the next CMO of the future that has a team of 30 people under them and a team of a thousand different uh, autonomous agents performing all sorts of menial tasks. And so just lean in, lean, lean in, lean in. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. You know, get those yes. Nike sho shoes and just do it. Well, Mark, uh, I'm so glad we were able to get together. And uh, like I said, I could talk to you forever, but uh, unfortunately we've got to come to a close uh, so how can uh, our viewers find out more about you and uh, about your company? Yeah, so we just uh, we just released uh, uh, our first kind of holding company global uh, branded site. It's uh, www.nextnetmedia.com. <laughs> and uh, there's actually an opportunity there, uh, you know, for anybody that's interested in terms of looking at our services and, and we're, we're really focused on turnkey reseller opportunities to improve advertising agencies bottom line. And you can actually go to the reseller section and I think connect with me directly through LinkedIn. So I'm Fantastic. happy to help anybody happy to yeah. provide help in any way I can. Fantastic, Mark. Thank you so much. So it was www.nextnetmedia.com nextnetmedia.com. Mark, thank you so much. And uh, to the viewers, uh, please stay tuned for many other videos in this series of the backstory on marketing and AI. And please visit marketingmachine.prorelevant.com and download uh, the first chapter of my book. And also there's many other valuable excerpts. Again, Mark, thank you so much. Hey, thank you so much. And definitely I'm going to check out the new book.